Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi there, it's Kate. I know we're well into September, but I'm keeping the replays rolling just a little longer while I get my act together. This week, I'm resharing episodes on actionable, evidence-based things you can do to protect your brain health now and into the future. Over the last year, I've been working on a book called Reversing Alzheimer's with Dr. Heather Sanderson, who specializes in preventing and even reversing dementia. The book will be out in mid-2024, but you can get a preview this week. I hope you enjoy. What if you could become a better person, not by working harder, but by allowing your inherent goodness to take the lead? And not because you're a bad person, but because there's something inside you that's ready for more. How to Be a Better Person gives you one tiny step a day you can take to be the person you want to be. My mission? To help you keep growing. Hey, and welcome to How to Be a Better Person. I'm Kate Hanley, your host and the author of the book, How to Be a Better Person. This week on the podcast, I'm talking about brain health. I saw a survey recently where just over 60% of people are significantly concerned that they're going to get dementia when they get older. And so I thought that, you know, because your brain is so such an important part of being a person that we could talk about having how to take care of your brain so that it can be its best now and into the future. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Heather Sanderson, who is the founder of the SoulSare Medical Clinic and Marama, a residential elder care facility in Southern California. Heather specializes in neurocognitive health and supporting those with dementia, and she takes a whole-body approach to brain health, which I have been lucky enough to become super inspired by because Heather is also working on a book that is going to come out in 2024, and she and I have been working on that together. I got so excited about all the things I was learning about brain health and the amazing client stories that she has shared with me that I wanted to share it with you, too. You may also know Heather's name as the host of the annual Reversing Alzheimer's Online Summit, where she offers her own expertise and interviews the top clinicians and researchers for their perspectives on protecting brain health. And that happens every June online, so you can keep an eye out for that. And just a little teaser, heads up, Reversing Alzheimer's is, we're pretty sure, the name of her book that's going to come out in 2024. Heather, it's so great to have you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Kate. So you take a whole body approach to brain health. Can you tell us what that means and why it's important? Yeah, you know, so many people fear Alzheimer's and this narrative in our communities and in our society that there's not much you can do about it, right? If you start Mm -hmm. to notice cognitive decline, this puts the fear of God in people. They are even afraid to go to the doctor because the assumption is that a doctor will give them a pill that won't work very well, say, get your affairs in order and I'll see you in six months so we can maybe measure the decline. And this is factually inaccurate. Like this does not have to be the way that we think about Alzheimer's or dementia or our brain health as we age. 
In fact, there is so much that can be done. And part of that is that we can't separate the brain from the rest of the body, right? This is why we think about whole body health when we think about brain health is that our thoughts and emotions of our stress levels affect our brain. How much exercise we get affects our brain. The diet that we choose to consume affects our brain. How much time we sleep and how the quality of that sleep, that all affects our brain. And so what I aim to do is take that step back and, and ask the question, what are all of the things that might be affecting the health of the neurons or those cells that make up our brain? And as we do that, we consider things like toxicity. Is there something like mercury or lots of phthalates or petrochemicals that might be impacting the function of our neurons? And can we get rid of them so that there's more resource, more ability for our neurons to fire effectively and create those memories and recall that word? And then can we look at nutrients? Can we establish, okay, these nutrients you maybe need more of and you're not getting enough of? Or something like glucose or sugar, maybe you're getting too much of, and we need to back off of that and potentially think about going into ketosis, um, shifting our metabolism. Are, are you getting enough exercise? Are you getting too much? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting too much? Is there enough blood flow to your brain, particularly at night? Are you getting enough oxygen or do we need to consider sleep apnea? Other things that might have happened like a traumatic brain injury can cause structural issues in the brain. And so we try to create this comprehensive list of things that impact your brain and then systematically go through and evaluate, is this affecting your brain in a positive way or a negative way? And how do we shift it towards a positive way so that you can enjoy that great cognitive function well into your 90s and beyond? Yeah, I just love that. I mean, I don't think we realize how many levers we have, how many tools we have to take care of our brains. We kind of think it's been, it's siloed up there in our skulls and maybe we just need to take omega-3s or, or something. And that's specifically for brain health. But when you and I started working together and I realized like, of course, anything that's good for your heart is also going to be good for your brain. Anything that's good for your muscles or, you know, like you're saying, exercise is also going to benefit your brain. So I found that very very exciting. And it started to give me hope because both grandmothers on both sides of my family had dementia. And, you know, so it's really top of mind for me. And I know it's top of mind for my parents. And I think for a lot of people, a lot of times we think, oh, dementia runs in my family. And then you kind of feel doomed. So how much power does any one person have to reduce whatever genetic risk we may have? Yeah, great question. So we know that there's this APOE or apolipoprotein epsilon E um, that does have some impact on our risk of developing dementia. However, That's a gene, right? APOE? This isn't gene. It's a single nucleotide polymorphism. And this is the one that most commonly shows up in society. There's a very, very small percentage of people that have these early onset. So early onset doesn't mean necessarily the early stage of the disease, but more that you get it, you start to develop Alzheimer's in your 40s and early 50s. So it comes on earlier in life. And this is associated with the APP, the amyloid precursor protein, or the, the PSEN1 and 2. So this is different. And this is that is very, very rare. We know a lot less about that because it's so rare. But APOE status, the single nucleotide polymorphism, 
there's much more of that. It's more abundant in the population. And this is typically what people are talking about when they're talking about the Alzheimer's gene. And some really exciting work has been done by Becca Levy, who you turned me on to, <laughs> that shows that mindset plays a significant role in that degree of risk and that we can actually completely cancel out any increased risk associated with APOE status, the higher risk APOE status. We can negate that risk by having a positive association with aging. So if we kind of revere the elders among us, if we imagine that life is just getting better, if we have this compelling vision of our future as we age, we can completely get rid of that genetic risk. This is really fun and exciting work that, you know, frankly makes me a little bit sad about sort of the advertising out there and how society, but really with this point, it values youth so much instead of mm -hmm. that wisdom and experience. So we have to work at this. We've got to work to make sure that we are associating aging with good, positive, wonderful things. Right. I know. It's hard. I, I remember after you and I talked about it the first time, we both kind of went away and had interactions with our friends or family and came back and we're like, you know, we caught ourselves saying some things like um, that conveyed some inherent negative attitudes toward aging, right? Like, oh, it's getting too late for me or, well, that ship has sailed or I don't know. It's just kind of this, it's not an attitude that we are naturally bathing in in society. And so it's something that we have to really kind of focus on, right? To counteract? Yeah, just becoming aware of it. In fact, that's part of what Dr. Becca Levy suggests is that awareness is the first step of noticing those conversations. And that's what we were sharing, right? Is I, I had had a conversation with a couple of friends at dinner and realized how often it comes up and just like, oh, well, we have to travel while we're young and we can, mm. right? But what Becca Levy describes in her book, Breaking the Age Code, is that there are societies that revere aging. She studied Japanese society, um, Confucius Chinese, and then also the American deaf community. And all of those communities, they really value the wisdom and experience of their elders. And so as you age, you contribute and you are valued. You're not cast aside as a lesser citizen. And in those communities, you don't see the drops in hormones. You don't see that people are you know, less mobile. They actually stay very physically fit. You mm -hmm. see them engaged and contributing and traveling, right? doing everything that younger people do and enjoying it. And so we assume that things go downhill and that doesn't have to be the case. Right. In fact, I want to ask you about that, about how you, it doesn't have to be downhill. I mean, even quote unquote, normal aging, right? When we're not necessarily dealing with something with dementia, we don't necessarily have to decline. But even with a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment or worse, or even Alzheimer's, you have worked with patients who have made really remarkable improvements. Could you share a quick one with us? And then I've got to take a break. I'm saying it so that I don't forget. <laughs> Yeah, of course. You know, my first patient, her name is Linda, and she came into my office and she had a MOCA score. So a MOCA score is a quick worksheet that we can do. It takes about 15, 20 minutes in the office. Somebody who's trained administers it. And it's a way for us to put a score on cognitive function. And if perfect is 30. Now, normal is kind of 26 and above. And then when you start getting into the low 20s, this is mild cognitive impairment, although there's nothing mild about it. This is quite scary because that leads to Alzheimer's. 
But this is when you can measure the cognitive decline. And then when you're in the teens, this is pretty significant. People are starting to move into memory care. And Linda, this first patient I saw, she had a mocha of two. So very severe cognitive decline. She essentially answered questions with yes or no and really couldn't engage in conversation. But I could see just like this bright, bubbly, beautiful personality. She had this gorgeous smile and she was dressed in this big pink shirt, like floral shirt, and she had this leather studded bag. I mean, her personality shone through despite the severity of her disease. And I did not have a lot of hope for Linda. She was one of my very first patients that I saw with dementia. And I didn't have the confidence that I have now because I hadn't seen the miracles happen, like what she showed me. So she came back just six weeks later and her MOCA score had gone up to a seven. And she was now bickering with her husband about something that had happened the night before. She, <laughs> Her handwriting had changed. And it was because... They dove in fully. They did not just dip their toe in this protocol that I use, the Bredesen protocol. They dove fully in and immersed themselves by changing their diet to a ketogenic diet. They started ballroom dancing three times a week. She got all of her dental work completed. They moved out of a moldy bedroom. They took all the supplements, all the hormone replacement. She did it all. And it made a massive difference in the quality of her life, right? She went from not being able to communicate and expecting and her and her husband, you know, kind of expecting that she would go downhill until death. And she turned that around. So she wasn't going back to work. But what I saw was a severe Alzheimer's case get better, which I had been told was impossible. And when I saw that that was possible for Linda, all I could do was imagine, well, what's possible for people when they're earlier on in the disease process? And we know that Alzheimer's starts decades before we start to notice the changes in memory. So those pathophysiological changes are happening in the brain. And if we can, again, go back to identifying all of those things in a systematic way, so we don't get too overwhelmed, if we can identify those things at 40 or 45 and get rid of the things that are going to contribute to brain degradation, add the things that are going to contribute to brain regeneration, then I think that for the vast majority of people, Alzheimer's can be prevented. I love to hear that. And I want to talk about some strategies that people can do, people who are listening in their 40s and 50s that, who have, are, you know, serious about prevention, but I got to take a break. So everybody stay where you are. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. I'm talking with Dr. Heather Sanderson about what we can do now to take care of our brain health in the future. So Heather, I just love hearing the story of Linda. And I know that there are other client stories that show that dementia is reversible. And I would like to sort of shift it a little bit to talk about what we can do now to make sure that maybe Alzheimer's doesn't even become something that we ever have to face. You know, how can we really go into prevention mode? What are some things that we can do? 
Yeah, this is such a great question. And unfortunately, it almost gets overwhelming, fortunately or unfortunately. There is so much we can do, and we're not going to cover all of it here, but I'm going to start with a couple of big ones. It really comes down to lifestyle, diet and exercise Mm. and sleep. So the biggest one in my mind is the ketogenic diet. And I know that some some people are afraid of this and, and feel a little worried and feel like it's restrictive. And I would highly recommend if you've considered it or if you've done it in the past and maybe for weight reasons or other reasons, I would encourage you to go back to it occasionally because a ketogenic diet is not something I recommend people are in all of the time. This is not a lifestyle that you continue forever, but going in and out of ketosis is so helpful for our cognition and our brain because we're flipping the switch of metabolism. We're going from burning sugar for fuel to burning fat for fuel. And as we age, regardless of our diabetes status or our EPOE status, our dementia risk, we all enjoy that that our insulin sensitivity decreases. So we, we create some insulin resistance and some glucose resistance in the brain. We don't efficiently turn glucose into ATP or the fuel that our cells run on. And this is true for most people. However, one way to prevent that is by going back and forth into ketosis. It kind of keeps that ability to turn fuel into ATP, whether it's glucose or, or fat ketones, it mm-hmm. keeps that tool sharp, right? It, it allows us to efficiently and effectively make ATP in the brain. And that can be very, very helpful in terms of energy levels, of course, weight management, blood sugar regulation, and cognition. People notice, I had a gentleman over the summer who came into my office and when he was in ketosis, he remembered all of his grandkids' names and the farm animals. Like he remembered what was a <laughs> sheep and what was a cow and what was a dog. He forgot those names of the farm animals and his grandkids when he was not in ketosis. So we see that this has a direct impact on cognition. And I notice a difference in my energy levels and my word recall, my ability to articulate when I am in ketosis. Mm, Interesting. So is it something we should do quarterly, like once a year? I don't know what. Yeah, that's great. I'm in prevention mode. I'm 40. And I basically go into ketosis in the spring and in the fall for about six weeks each time. And Mm -hmm. so I was in ketosis until Thanksgiving. It was like through mid-October until Thanksgiving this last year. And then in May, I spent all of half of April and all of May in ketosis. And that works for me. That feels good. It's kind of a reset. For people who are at higher risk, maybe if you have an APOE 4-4 status, you might consider going into ketosis for a week, a month, or one month quarterly, maybe doing it a little bit more frequently. Mm-hmm. And also depending on your goals, right? If you have some weight management goals, this can be really helpful. And your results, like how do you feel? It's easier for people who are feeling really great, I think, to get into it and get back into it. Yeah. Heather, well, first of all, I love that you do it in fall and spring because those are like the busiest times of year anyway, when I really feel like you need to be firing on all cylinders. And then, you know, in the summer, you kind of want to kick back and go to the barbecue. And like you say, in the late fall and early winter, it's about the holidays. So that seems like a really good pace. And you mentioned exercise. And so I have to ask you to just tell us really quick, because I also want people to be able to find out where they can connect with you. But what is it about exercise? But do we just okay. go around the Start walking more. Misnomers is it walking and walking and walking and walking a ton. Walking is not enough if you want to prevent or reverse Alzheimer's. Mm. And so I recommend getting at least 200 minutes a week at your target heart rate, which is 75 to 85% of your 
maximal heart rate. Mm -hmm. And so aerobic exercise plus strength training is really, I think the minimum. And then you can find out more about other things that I recommend by visiting Marama Experience, M-A-R-A-M-A, maramaexperience.com or solcere.com, S-O-L-C-E-R-E.com. There's lots of information there. We host webinars. Feel free to sign up for the email list. You'll be alerted if there's a webinar coming up or if we have new things like the book available. Awesome. I will include links to those in the show notes. So right here in your podcast player. And Heather, thanks for being here today. I really am so excited to share you with my audience and to hear your message. I feel like we just need to be reminding ourselves constantly that the choices that we make and even the attitudes that we have make a difference. And it's easy to sort of like hear the information, get excited and then forget. (laughs) So we just have to keep re-exposing ourselves to this kind of exciting health information. So thank you for being here. I hope that people listening, I hope you get excited and inspired about taking better care of your whole body health, including your brain health. And thanks for being here. Thank you. It's such a privilege. Can I give one more tip? Yes. Surround yourself with other people who are making healthy decisions. Mm. May we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And if you're surrounded by people who are also exercising and prioritizing their sleep and considering healthy diets, you're more likely to do it. You'll feel supported. And community is so important for brain health. So Mm. choose wisely. Yeah, that's so important. And listen, when you're living longer and having more function, you're going to need people to like, be playing with all those extra years. <laughs> Absolutely. Enjoy it with. Well, I enjoy the time I get to spend with you, Kate. Thank you so much for collaborating and for having me today. Thanks, Heather. How to Be a Better Person's theme song, Left for Deadish, is by Junior85. The episodes are mixed by Sound Advice Strategies. If you liked what you heard in this episode, share it with someone you think would like it too. Your voice matters. Also, How to Be a Better Person has an official newsletter that sends the past five episodes and a well-chosen meme to your inbox every weekend. Sign up at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com and click on Get Podcast News. I also love to hear from listeners. I mean, I love it. Send me an email by clicking on the Contact Kate button at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com or you can tweet me at Kate W. Hanley don't forget the W, or find me on Instagram at Kate Hanley Author. I look forward to connecting with you. 